Hey everyone, thanks for joining us online again this week, or uh, we also use this for the podcast, so if you're listening to the audio later, thanks for tuning in as well. Before we get started, I just wanted to give you a heads up that coming up this Memorial Day on the 30th, on that Sunday, we have an outdoor service followed by a little bit of a cookout. We've done this in previous years, didn't get a chance to do it last year, but this year we are doing that on the 30th. Our worship service time will begin at 11 a.m. and will be immediately followed by a meal and some fun and some games, as well as a lot of ways that we want to be for our community and have some opportunities to really help our community and the places around us. So, for you who are at home and want to be come to an environment to worship where we can all be outside and distance a little bit more, this is a great opportunity. If you're going to stay for the meal, here's what we need you to do. We need you to go to richfork.com, click on events, and register for the cookout so we can have an idea of how many meals we need to have planned. Also, if you're planning on coming, we're not going to be bringing our chairs out. We want each person to bring their chairs, so be sure and grab uh, whatever chair you're going to bring if you really want to get serious about it and unload the recliner from your living room that you're sitting in right now. That's cool too, but uh, we won't help you move that. But no joke, we'd love to see you next weekend for our outdoor service. Let me pray, and then we'll get started with our message this morning. God, we just thank you that we get to connect with you this morning. Dear God, just got our time together as we're in our homes, as we're in our cars listening, dear God. Just give us these moments to focus on you and your word and what you would have us know. Dear God, I ask that you guide my words, and as I always request, don't let me get in your way and let these words be what you desire. And Father, we love you and we praise you in your name. Amen. So I've got to go start with a story that happened at my house uh, last week. Uh, me and my family were watching this funny video online of these guys who were doing a taste test of various donuts, whether it was Krispy Kreme or Dunkin' Donuts or whatever else. They were doing this taste test to see which one was the best, which started a conversation between my wife and my children. Um, we are big Krispy Kreme fans, and we began to have a heated discussion on which type of donut for Krispy Kreme was the best. And so someone in my house was a traditionalist and like just the regular glazed donut. Uh, there was the chocolate lover that wanted the chocolate cream filled. There was that little bit of a wacky personality, not gonna say who that was, that likes the crawler. And then I come to find out that my spouse likes the custard filled donut which after being with her for 20 years, I'm sitting here scratching my head going, what? How did I not know this? I mean, who likes, who likes it? Do, you, do you guys like custard, Justin Blake? It, yes, thank you, thank you. It, it sounds like must, and it's like, never mind. We're not going to get off track. But I want to tell you how this conversation ended. Because after we sat there and we debated and we narrowed it down to about five or six different donuts that we were arguing about, here's how the conversation played out. I went and I got in my car and I went and got a dozen donuts. And I proceeded to eat a good amount of those donuts while each of my family only had one. And I believe I was accused of, and there is no factual information unless you can do basic math, that I might've eaten five of them. Because here's what happened. Long story short, and I forgot to leave this detail in at the beginning, me and my wife were also in a state and in a time where we were trying to eat healthier, right? Like it was that week of the month where we wanna eat healthy. And then we became consumed by the idea of donuts. And I'm even going to guess right now, I'm talking about donuts. And I bet you're sitting at home right now going, you know what I'm going to get this afternoon? Some donuts, right? You're thinking about those hot Krispy Kreme donuts. But long story short, what happened in my mind is the temptation became too great. And I had to move to action and give in and go get some donuts. 
Now that's kind of a light story to get us into our topic, which our topic for the day, if you haven't already seen it, is temptation. And this does get a little bit heavier as we move in. And that little joking story about the donuts earlier is one of the ways that kind of mirrors how we get into temptation. But that's really what we want to talk about this morning. And as we dive in, there's something else I got to throw out there that I like to do to make sure we know who we're talking about is we're not talking about somebody you know. We're not talking about your spouse or your friend or your family member who has an issue with temptation. This morning, we want you to focus on you. As an individual in your mind, we want you to stand before God and let's talk about this idea of temptation and how it affects our lives. Because here is the reality. We are all tempted. Every single person that we know, every single person that has been born on earth has fallen into the aspect of being tempted. And let's take this even further because there's a lot of times we look at temptation and it kind of miscommunicates with us and we'll get into that. But understand this right out of the gate. Being tempted is not a sin. Now, I want to pause and I want you to think through that. Let's define temptation a little bit more. If we're going to break temptation down into a really simple understanding, temptation is simply a desire that all of us have to rebel against God. We want to do something. There's something in us that wants to do something, make an action, not do an action, or do something that God has told us, hey, don't do that. That goes against His commandments and against living the way He wants us to live. We all have that desire. From birth, we are, Scripture teaches us that we are born into sin. So from our very beginning, we have a desire to rebel against God. We have cravings and feelings and wants that are not how God designed us. And you know what? As I think through that, sometimes within the church world, it gets really, really difficult to acknowledge within yourself that you have a desire to rebel against God that's waging war against you. Paul talks about this all the time within Scripture, about how he has desires to do things he knows are wrong. So right now, as we dive into this idea, the first thing I need you to do is to accept the fact that you are tempted on a daily basis. And if we're going to take this a little step further and dig in even deeper into this, temptation leads to sin. We know that, but we're not talking about crossing the sin threshold. That's what we're trying to prevent. But you have to understand this as well. We all have different temptations that we might not understand in each other. So someone might be tempted in this way, but we don't understand how we are tempted in that way. So instead, we sit there with that temptation and we might sit there and see somebody else's temptation and get really judgy about it. Like, how could you desire that? Like, what's going on? So we have to understand as we're diving into this conversation, different people who are listening to this are going to struggle with different temptations. But I want to reiterate something. Just because you have the temptation, being tempted is not a sin. It's only when we give in to the temptation. And that's a very careful line we have to walk. And I'm going to dive into that further as we look at the scripture. Because the question I want to ask you today blankly, plainly, and simply, is how are you dealing with your temptation? Because we're going to look at a pattern that shows up very early in Scripture. We're going to look at the first instance in history of human beings being tempted to rebel against God, to push against God, to act in disobedience towards God. 
And we're going to look at that and we're going to see how it applies to us. But the question I'm going to ask you when you get to the end of this is how are you dealing with it? So let's look at Genesis chapter 3. And as we're looking at Genesis chapter 3, just to put a little bit of context, it's right at the beginning of your Bible if you're sitting at home, okay? So it's the third chapter of all of what's in the Bible. And this is right after creation. So there are only two humans alive at this time. God has created them. He's put them in a perfect place with only one rule. And that rule is do not eat of the tree that is titled the knowledge of good and evil. It's the tree of good and evil. And so we pick up in the story after everything's been made, and the first two humans, Adam and Eve, are living together in the garden. So we pick up in Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord has made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? So just to put this in a little bit of context, understand what's going on here. This initial conversation happens between Eve and the serpent, but we learn later in the story that Adam is right there. He's just being really quiet. So we have both humans engaged in this conversation. And here's what happens right at the beginning. You sit here and just following the logic and the way that temptation works in our lives, Eve's kind of having her day, doing her thing. And all of a sudden the serpent comes up and he says to Eve, who's sitting there with Adam, hey, what about the tree? So all of a sudden, it goes from Eve being there to this idea being put in her head, this concept, this thing that she's not supposed to touch or eat from. And all of a sudden, the enemy throws an idea into her mind. And he just asks her a question to which Eve responds. In verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the tree of the fruits of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Now this is a really interesting exchange of words, because Eve in the beginning begins, as she responds, speaking for her and Adam, seems to be able to answer very clearly what God has told them, which they shouldn't eat of that tree, and also the consequence, lest they die. But then the serpent begins to lessen it. He begins to lessen the, the consequence. He says, no, 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 no. It's not that big of a deal. You'll just be like God, knowing good and evil, which is partially true. Now, before we continue on, there's a little bit of a distracted thing I want to address here. And that goes with the concept of why does God allow us to be tempted? Because when you look at this story of creation, there's only one thing that man and woman can't do, and that is to eat of this tree while they're in the garden and in this perfect world that they exist. So why does God put the tree in the garden? Why does he allow temptation? And if I'm going to explain that, this is going to be a really quick explanation. We could get a lot deeper into it, but I normally explain that like this. God wants a real, genuine relationship with you. And if he's going to have true love and a genuine relationship, love, as we know, it's not an emotion. It's actually a choice. A lot of people describe it as an emotion in a way we feel, but it's actually a choice, an active choice we make to care for someone, even though there might be days we don't feel like it, that brings about emotions and feelings. And so if love is a choice, and that's a requirement of a genuine relationship, and God doesn't want us to be mindless robots, he had to put something or allow something to come into the garden 
that allowed man to have an option to choose not to follow God because he wanted that real relationship. And so when that tree shows up there, the reason that is there is because God desires a real relationship with each one of us. So when we apply that to our lives and understanding why God would allow temptation, it's because God wants us to experience a true relationship with Him, which means there's going to be an option to rebel, deny, and run away from Him that is going to be present throughout our entire earthly life. So if we're going to apply that, understand it this way. For the rest of your life, you are going to deal with temptation of one kind or another that is trying to distract you and lead you away from God. Now let's keep reading in the story because we're going to see some decisions that Adam and Eve make here that begin to make this thought or this idea an unbearable temptation. And we keep reading. And in verse 6 it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, I want to point out something that happens right here that happens a lot of times when we fail in being tempted and give in to sin. Eve, the idea is presented to her and the argument is lessened, okay? This is something we do as we suddenly it pops into our minds that temptation kind of sits there, but then we try to make less of a deal of it, kind of like what the serpent did. He goes, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And we try to lessen the reality of it. But then here's what Eve does. She begins to immerse herself, and Adam along with her, they begin to immerse themselves in the idea of the temptation. They surround themselves with it. They go to where the tree is. They look at the tree. They think about it. They focus on it. They completely absorb themselves into the temptation. And if you think about you and you think about your life and the times that you have felt like a temptation is unbearable, it's been the moments where it consumes us. We begin to think about it. We begin to put ourselves in situations where it's all around us, surround us with friends who are going to tempt us by it. We begin to research it or check it out on our phones or be all about it or watch movies or read books through about it. And we begin to consume ourselves with a temptation in a place where we feel like we can't bear it. And that's why in Scripture you see over and over and over again the concept of when it comes to temptation, flee. Get away from it. Well, just like we do, Adam and Eve, on the other hand, go towards the temptation. They run to it. They immerse themselves in it. They focus on it. It becomes a part of what they're doing for that entire time period and invades their lives in a way to where they are about to fail and eventually give in and they eat of the tree. Now, here's where things change, because up until this moment within the human existence, there are no negative feelings or emotions that come upon them. There's a certain aspect of temptation that they're experiencing that is the fall that is very pure and raw. They don't have, they don't have scars. They don't have shame. They don't have guilt. They don't have past negative experiences that added to the temptation they experienced before they took a bite of the apple. But Well, not the apple, the fruit, excuse me. But as they take that bite, there are certain things that enter the world. And that's why I want to talk to you about how you handle your temptation. 
Because I think what we see here is after this first sin that is committed, we see a cycle of temptation and sin that begins to play out. So let's keep reading. In verse 7, it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the, heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, the man and his wife, and they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. So here's something that entered the world as soon as they took a bite of this forbidden tree. Shame entered. They were suddenly ashamed. They needed to cover themselves. They needed to hide. They needed to stay away because they had felt the guilt and the consequence of what they had done. Their eyes had been opened, whereas before they did not know all these negative emotions, all these self-esteem things that we battle today. As soon as they crossed that line, they now knew those evil things. They knew the difference between good and evil in a whole new context. And when I really think through and we really talk about the idea of temptation, here's what I think keeps us from handling our temptation. I think we give in to the idea of shame. I think we don't have the freedom to open up about what we're tempted by because we are ashamed of the fact that we are tempted. Now, remember what I said earlier on when I was talking about the reality that every single person is tempted? All of us, for the, our entirety of our lives, are going to have desires to sin against God, to go against what He desires. And now that shame has entered the world, here's the first obstacle in you dealing with your temptation, is you feel like you can't talk about it with anyone because you feel isolated. You can't confess that, confess that because what will they think of you? We're not even talking about confessing a sin. We're not even talking about giving in to temptation. We're just talking about the idea that we think just because we have the negative desire, it defines who we are. So hear me clearly as I say this. There is no shame in temptation. You need to stop allowing your temptation to define who you are and you need to deal with your temptation because unaddressed temptation becomes sin. And that's where you cross the line. It becomes destructive and there's earthly consequences. There are things that we have to deal with. Now, as with the other thing I'll pick up in this is when we talk about that shame factor, that's something that distances us from God because Adam and Eve commit this sin all of a sudden, they're hiding in the garden. And it says right here, this is one of the most abrasive phrases for me in Scripture. It says, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. And we do that all the time when we deal with our sin, right? We always sit there and we feel like we just can't go and talk to God because we don't want to fess up. And so we distance ourselves. We push back. We don't acknowledge it. We don't think about it in our minds. And when we do that on the temptation side, that's just absolutely insane. We're too ashamed of being tempted to talk to God or talk to other people about it. And that's something that we have to deal with. We absolutely have to deal with. Now, as we keep reading, there's this other pattern that shows up that I think that we can deal with on the temptation side before it becomes sin. So let's keep reading. In verse 9, But the Lord called out to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. In verse 11, 
He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? It's very interesting that God is having this interaction, this relational conversation, when obviously the consequences of Adam's sin, he can't even see. He doesn't understand that he feels this way and he knows this, and that it's blatantly already telling God that we have eaten of the tree. But God asks him because he wants to hear from Adam. He comes down relationally and connects with him, and God already knows which makes it even more insane sometimes that a lot of times we are reluctant to go to a God who already knows everything. And so we keep reading, verse 12. The man said, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is it that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So Adam and Eve, very quickly, they go from this position of shame to the position of blame. It's not my fault. She did it. And then she says, it's not my fault. The serpent did it. When I think about the cycle of temptation and sin, a lot of times where that temptation becomes sin, if it's not on the shame side where we just don't want to talk about it and we let it fester and then we just give up and we think we're we're just, just naturally born that way and we have to give into it and then we try to make it not a big deal, it gets to the blame side of things. We start to look at, well, that's how I was made, or hey, I had this experience, or hey, this is just a coping mechanism. We, it's somebody else's fault. They maybe do it. We get to the blame part where it's no longer our responsibility that we've sinned against God. It's now an outside circumstance that's not on us. So sometimes we say it's, hey, this is because God made me with this temptation. And we have to figure out how to justify that. Or it's because, no, I had this negative past experience and that's why I'm struggling with that. That might be a factor. But when we decentralize it from ourselves, it puts us in a position where it gets really, really difficult to actually process and deal with temptation. And so here's what we're saying this morning. If we're kind of going to wrap this up and package it, we've got to be done with the shame of temptation. We've got to stop passing blame. And we have to begin to deal with it. We have to end this cycle in this game. So it's no shame, no blame, and we're going to end the game, right? We're done going around in this circle. And when we look at this passage, here's what's really, really amazing. Because before any human ever steps up and says, hey, I've got to deal with this, God provides a way. Because in this next few verses, it's one of those major verses within Scripture. It's the first time that we're alluded to in Scripture that a rescue, that Jesus is on the way to deal with each and every one of our sins. And it sounds like this in verse 14. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, when it talks about the offspring of the woman and the, and, and the, the tension between them and that bruising of the head and the heel, that heel is literally talking about when Jesus died on the cross and he was pierced to the cross. This is the first allusion to that rescue moment because the offspring of the woman, Jesus was fully man. He was in the line of David. All those things add up. This is the first place theologians point out that we are hinted that Jesus and rescue is on the way. So let's take this into a deeper consideration because here's my assumption. If I'm sitting here listening to me say this, 
and I'm sitting in my living room, I'm doing everything that I can to avoid thinking about the real temptation I deal with. I am deeply searching for those safe kind of Christian words in case like my wife or a friend asked me, hey, what'd you think of the sermon? I just kind of want to give out that, well, you know, I, I, I struggle with pride. I want to give one of those safe answers. Oh, I'm, you know, occasionally I get angry. I'm trying to avoid those real issues, and especially for those of us who have been at home for a long season of time, not around other people, maybe those temptations that have become habitual sin that have grown up during the season where we've been stuck at home. So first, let me just give you this as a sign of hope and an understanding. Jesus has already dealt with our failures in temptation. He sent his son on the cross to die for our sins. Forgiveness is already there. The shame has been taken away because we know that Jesus died on the cross for our sin. And if you trust Jesus as your savior, you have a complete rescue from those moments where temptation overwhelms and you make the choice to give in and it becomes sin. He has already dealt with it. The challenge for you this morning is planning simply, how are you going to deal with your temptation? So I want to give you three phrases to work through, just you and yourself. And then go grab a piece of paper, write these out, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a sentence that, that I want you to finish. And so when we first talk about how you deal with your temptation, the first thing we talked about was shame. And so we're going to write it down like this. Today, I will deal with blank. And you're going to name what you're tempted by. You're just going to write it down. This is just for you. You're going to look at that and you're going to write it down. You're going to watch yourself write down that today you're going to deal with this. Because we're not playing the shame game anymore. Everyone is tempted. And we need to be able to talk about that. We need to be able to open up about that. So today, you're going to deal with, and you're going to fill in that blank. What is it that is tempting you, that is causing you to push back from God because you already feel ashamed just because of the temptation? Let's name your temptation. The next one we get to is blame. And it's going to be, I will stop blaming. And this is where you write in right after that. You're going to draw a blank and you're going to write in, what is it that is your normal go-to for not dealing with this that you push it off on? When it's not just the shame factor and you feel bad, what is it when you like are having to deal with it, but it's going to stop you from digging deep even further because it's happening because of this. It's this person's fault. It was made this way. Like whatever that is in that blank, take a minute, just prayerfully write out right there. Okay. It's not shame. It's not blame. We're done dealing with that. And we want to end the game. And this is where it's going to get really challenging. If you're going to end the game, if you're going to stop this cycle, if you're going to break out of temptation, especially if it's become a habitual sin, something that's difficult to deal with, something that is happening over and over again or has been for years or months, and it's a temptation that has led to sin, which I got to say, the longer it stays there, the more destructive it becomes. Then you're going to end the game. And you're going to write it out like this. I will end the game by telling blank about my temptation. You need to find that one person you can sit down with. You can reach out to me or one of the staff members you want to and just be like, hey, I've got to say this to somebody, but this is my temptation. And you're going to write it out. Because living in denial about the reality that we have to deal with sin and temptation as believers does not work. It stops us from growing. It puts distance between us and God on our end because we don't want to have to deal with our own brokenness. 
Because I just want to encourage you with this passage from Hebrews. If there's any hesitation in you to deal with your temptation. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. That passage is talking about Jesus. Jesus, just like us, walked this earth but was without sin. And that passage tells us he was tempted in every way, just like you and I are tempted. But he was without sin and he died on the cross to cover our sins. So why would we not first be able to name our name our temptation and deal with it stop passing blame and accept responsibility for it and go to the throne of grace and stand before God who is tempted and knows what we have gone through and has paid our debt for the times that we've given in to that temptation there is no shame we're no longer going to pass blame and we're going to end this game and deal with our temptation let me pray for you. God, as we close, I pray that there are some people listening who are ready and challenged to step in and go, you know what? I got to deal with this. God, I pray that you provoke in their hearts a person that they can go talk to, that they can share about what's going on in their lives. Dear God, for anybody listening who just feels the shame because they have a desire that is counter to what you desire, Father. Dear God, just be done with that. We are all tempted. And you don't put the weight on different sins the way that we do, Father. You love and desire a relationship and health for each one of us. And you want to help us deal with our brokenness and not deny it and not blame other people. Just guide us, Father. And thank you in every way for how you've led us. In your name, amen. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.